Since you enjoy this show, I thought I'd throw out there another podcast you might like. It's a show about the intersection of design, technology, and the creative process. It's the Design Better podcast. And in each episode, hosts Eli Woolery and Aaron Walter bring you conversations with inspiring creative thinkers like John Cleese and David Sedaris, people who bring design and technology together like Tony Fadal, co-inventor of the iPhone and the iPod. So far, some standout episodes for me have been when they talk to John Cleese of Monty Python about creativity. That is one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite people. Then also one of my favorite musicians, Tycho, about his creative process. And they talk with Seth Godin about how creativity is an act of generosity. I've always been fascinated by design, the creativity behind it, the implementation of it, both to improve our lives from a functionality and user interface standpoint, also from an artful bringing beauty into the world approach. So whether you're a design curious person like me or a design pro, Design Better is a great listen that inspires and informs. Subscribe to the Design Better podcast at designbetterpodcast.com or in your favorite podcast app like the one you're using right now. and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, we're talking with Ray Edwards, who, for a lot of people, and myself included, is somewhat of an Obi-Wan Kenobi when it comes to copywriting and productivity and life. I really enjoy everything that Ray does. So it was a thrill for me to be able to have Ray back on the show, finally, and this is a really cool conversation because Ray and I recently saw each other face-to-face down in Nashville at Jeff Goins' Tribe Conference, where we scheduled this call. But also, in this conversation, there's some real foundational stuff here. That productivity is not just about being efficient, that it's about being effective, and that it's not just about being effective, but it's about having an impact, and it's about doing that slow cooking thought process, pondering to decide what it is that you really need to be doing so that you can set that stuff up and then work backwards to your task list for the day. But a lot of this episode is about overcoming those barriers that we all either self-sabotage ourselves with and put in place or have faulty beliefs that keep us from getting to true productivity in our lives and in our work. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, it's been way too long, Ray Edwards. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thanks, man. I'm so happy to be here. I just want to say, for people out there who aren't listening to your podcast, it's one of my highlights of the week because I love listening to you and your son co-host it together. And when I hear how you guys have that rapport, I think to myself, that's what I want to have with my son when he's older. So... There you go. You know, I really appreciate you saying that. And we get lots of good feedback about that. Every once in a while, we get somebody who is a little annoyed with how frivolous we get. <laughs> well, but I, yeah. I'm like, well, then we're not your cup of tea. Yeah, that's that's part of the fun. There's there's so many podcasts out there. Find a different one to listen to, I guess. Yeah. That's that's the point. So, But I, I was thrilled when – and you guys often touch on this. You touch on business a lot and – 
productivity some of the time. Although, again, that's the point of this show is finding kind of the productivity application from lots of different angles and topics and, and all of that. But there's some specific things that you talked about that just caught my attention. And it was basically why we end up not being productive. There's these stumbling blocks. There's these roadblocks. There's these beliefs that we have th- that we either need to start believing or stop believing or in other words it's it's a very big mental shift there's there's some steps that we can go through in order to be more productive by changing the way that we think about productivity if that makes sense it does sounds like really smart stuff yeah i, I think i heard it from somewhere so <laughs> so <laughs> i i think one of the key things that was thrilling to me was and i and i I do this myself all the time, and I think you probably have done it at least in in the past, if not still occasionally. Uh, you know, this is where we get it wrong. It's because we aren't good at at estimating what are the things that we can actually accomplish. You oh, know, yeah, it's so true. It's I mean, people like us, people who are entrepreneurial and who are achievers and achievement oriented. I don't know if you've taken the uh, Strengths Finder test or not. Yes, but achiever is one of my top strengths. What about you? Oh, gosh, I have to pull it out. It's been a while since I've looked at it. I don't think Achiever is one of them for sure. Well, I'm guessing that some of those related strengths are in there because Mm -hmm. that's what makes up entrepreneurial type people. And we just tend to think we can do more than we actually can. If you add it all up, you realize, well, I just scheduled 27 hours of work in an eight-hour period. That's not going to work out real well. (laughs) Yeah. One of the reasons we do that, I think, is because it's so easy to just start stacking tasks upon tasks on whatever digital or analog mechanism it is you do you use to capture those tasks. But those of us that have been doing this for a while know there's no end to the amount of possible tasks that you could be doing at any given time. <laughs> yes. And one of the seductions of the digital technology that we have is we have these great task management systems that make it so easy for us to be more efficient that we start thinking, well, I can now do more things because I have a better way to schedule them and plan them out. And we add, we end up adding stuff to our schedules that is not realistic in any way. So just because you have a tool that helps you get more stuff done doesn't mean you need to then add on more stuff. I think there's a trap there. I, I really do. I think that as we become more efficient and, and, you know, so going into that word specifically that we are getting whatever task it is that we are deciding to do done I don't know. Efficiency to me means more quickly. It could also be with more quality, but I'm not entirely sold on that, maybe. What do well, you Peter Drucker, Peter Drucker wrote, he said, efficiency is getting things done right. Effectiveness is doing the right things. And I think what we need to be focused on these days is doing the right things. You know, um, there's a book called, I'm sure you heard of this book, it's called Deep Work. Yes, Cal has been on the show before. Yeah, I know. I kind of set you up with a softball there. Um, I think Cal and his episode have been probably the most name-checked person in the history of this show, to be honest. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. But his book and his concept is is very um, insightful. It's very deep, if you will. Because my my newest uh, and greatest practice these days is looking at the things I can work on deeply with a lot of uh, uninterrupted focus. And I do much, I have fewer things on my list of things to do on my to-do list. I go beyond the to-do list and I think about what's important that I get done. And then I have become a lot better at estimating how long it's going to take me to do things. And usually if you are still struggling with this, I would suggest the following technique. 
just take however long you think it will take you and multiply it with times three. Hmm. And that'll probably give you a much better estimate of how long it's really going to take you because we're just notoriously bad at estimating those things. And I schedule fewer things, but I give myself more room to focus deeply on my writing, on preparing for podcasts, on recording and editing podcasts or videos or whatever I happen to be working on. And so I have fewer things on my schedule, but a lot of stuff, a lot more stuff actually gets done, believe it or not. Now, if you're overestimating on purpose the amount of time something's going to take, over time, though, for example, like knowing, oh, it's going to take me this amount of time based on my experience, do you then adjust that as you go forward? Yeah, and I'm, I've become kind of obsessive about timing how long it actually takes me to do stuff. And I still try to build in the cushion. I mean, there are certain things I know pretty closely how long it's going to take, but I still build in a cushion because I love that feeling of knowing I have all the time I need to do what needs to be done even if it takes a little longer, even if we need to do a retake. For instance, we were shooting video this morning, and we ske- we thought we would, it would take us an hour, but we scheduled two hours. And it took about 90 minutes because we had time to say, well, I didn't like that shot very well. Let's redo it one more time. And we got just the right shot as a virtue of having built-in time to do that. So I think it's important to be accurate, but not to cram your day so full that you your schedule looks like the president of the United States, where every minute is scheduled out, because that leaves you no breathing room for improvisation. And improvisation is where all the creativity comes from. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think the other key there, then, is the fact that because you're not scheduling as many things, and you know which things that you need to get done, or or have, I I shouldn't say need to get done, you've you've pre-decided, you've done your homework, you know which things are going to be the most effective towards your goals, and you've then chosen those things to do, and you've created the cushion or the buffer of time by expanding how much time you're going to allow for that thing. What you're doing then is also say something does actually come up that does supersede the things that you've decided based on, you know, it comes in and it's your decision making rubric and you say, oh yeah, of course there's an emergency here that does supersede some things. So I do need to shuffle things around. Then it's not like you're shuffling around those 27 things. It's those two to three things. Right. And you've left yourself the latitude to be able to do that and not be stressed out about it. And that's so important. And this is something that Chris Brogan actually was the first person who talked to me about this. He said, you know, I leave 40% of my working day unscheduled. And I asked him why. And he said, so I can be open for opportunities that may come up. Yeah, I've heard him say that. In fact, I think he said that last summer he was on the show with one or two other people, Mike Vardy and uh, Steve Dotto, we kind of did a roundtable thing back in the day when when Blab was a thing, and we had Chris on as a guest, and I'm pretty sure that was one of the things that stuck out uh, to a lot of people when they were listening to that or attending it live. And I think the, the downside to that, because there is a possible downside, is by not scheduling anything – we may get lackadaisical or feel like, you know, if I don't schedule that time, then it ekes away into things that I shouldn't be doing. I would devil's advocate this thing and say, but if you pick those two to three things and you give ample amount of time and then still have that free time allotted for in your schedule and you fully complete the things that you choose to have that that you're going to be effective with, on your your list for that day, actually fully checking those things off versus just moving them forward a little bit and feeling rushed to the next thing and then to the next thing and so on is going to actually be much more effective than having that really long to-do list that you get three of the things done anyway and then move the rest to the next day, right? Right. And you do them in a hurry and you don't do them as well as you possibly could. And so it ends up not being your best work. 
And, you know, I just finished reading um, the book, The Perennial Seller. Yes. Which is a fantastic piece of work uh, that really speaks to the issue of quality, doing great work, not just good enough work, but great work. And that takes a little more time and focus. And it does take more time and focus, but not as much more as you think it might. And I've, the distinction that I got from Chris in his 40% rule was the difference between thinking, I'm going to leave that open in case there's a problem versus what he said, which is I'm going to leave it open so I can receive opportunity. Yeah, that's a great distinction. And and I kind of went the negative way, but he's going the positive way. And that's really a cool perspective shift. And And I think, again, that's really what we're kind of talking about here. I just had a mental picture as I was talking to you about this. Often, my kids are told, I have, a, I have a, well, my daughter's about to become a teenager, so pray for me. My son is a six-year-old, and the two of them, throughout their whole lives, have done this thing where they're told to help clean up or pick things up. And instead of making multiple trips to take things back to their room or different things like that, they will try to gather up everything and be more efficient, but then they end up dropping things along the way or stumbling or whatever, and they are not as effective and they have to come back anyway. So I, that, that almost is like a, a meta picture or a metaphor or whatever you want to call it for what we're talking about here uh, in terms of stacking our day so full of tasks. That is a great analogy of exactly what we do to ourselves. And, you know, I do... I, even though I leave this 40% margin open, what if nothing special, extraordinary comes up as opportunity? Well, I have another list of things, tasks that can be done. And I just go look at that task and, and ask myself the the questions, you know, what do I have time to do right now that's on this list? What do I have the tools available for? What do I have the energy for? And then I go ahead and do those other things. And I still knock out more than three things every day, but I've left space open that I can deal with opportunity, even if that opportunity comes in the form of a challenge, which it does sometimes. But it's just a such a more relaxed way to live, and it ultimately causes me to be more productive. There's never a lack of tasks that need to be done. So it's cool to have some of those low-hanging fruit type of tasks that are readily available if, hey, I've already knocked out all the things I need to do today. I can either take a break and or then step into doing some of those things that are uh, maybe not as fun, but definitely still need to be done. I actually keep a list of things I call stupid tasks. <laughs> and it doesn't mean that they're stupid things. It means if I'm in a stupid state, like, I don't know about you, but after I record a podcast, I am done for a while. It's like yes. the energy yes. goes out of me and my brain power is low and I'm, I'm kind of in a stupid state. So that's the time I reserve for doing things like addressing envelopes or organizing my desk drawers or stuff that needs to be done, but I don't really normally take the time to do it. But if I can knock some of those things out and listen to a podcast or listen to some music while I'm doing it, I usually end up getting re-energized and I've accomplished three or four things off my list and I've still made progress even though I didn't exert a lot of brain power in that period of time. Yeah. It's nice to have you know a running list of, hey, it's been a while since I, I don't know, shredded these files or I don't know. Do, do you keep that? I mean, the stupid list, what form does that take? It's just a text file um, in Evernote which is a lot of the way I keep track of a lot of things these days. Although I've been using um, Nosby a lot. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I'm the perennial app tester. seems like I'm <laughs> never satisfied. Yes. They're, they're uh, all good. Let's just put I've it been, that way. I've been using a combination of Nosby or Nosby, however you say it, and um, also Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner, which I didn't really expect to like, quite honestly, because I quit paper planners a long time ago. 
Yeah, I am also a user of the full focus planner, and I saw the, I don't know, the, the, the tangibility, the non-digitalness of it, <laughs> the analogness of it as an appealing thing, because it's one of those things where I, I've been really trying myself. First thing in the morning as I'm going through and reviewing what I'm going to do for the day, or even shutting down at the end of the day, the previous day, not having a screen. And so it's really helpful in that way. And that's not to say I don't have digital backups of, you know, what, of where I'm at and what I need to do in, in a task management system. But the, the planner, I don't know. There's just something that feels vintage. <laughs> well, and now, so you do use a, a digital task planner too, though, yes? Yes, correct. What do you use? I use, uh, things. And really? It's, it's mostly because of the user interface. I just, uh, it, so long story short, it, came back things version i think it's two or three i forget which let me see about things things version three uh for mac so you know sorry windows users but uh it had a mac version and an ios version uh come out a couple months ago and the mac version had a free trial and i thought you know what let me just take a look at this and i started playing with it and it just felt so natural user interface flow flowing to me that i decided to just jump in and play play around with it, and then I was like, "Okay, I'm I'm sold. I'm just going to move over to this. It's what I'll use. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done moving from thing to thing." So now I'm so using curious, things. What were you using before? Okay, so I was. I have used in the past. I have used Nosby. I have used OmniFocus. I have used Todoist. I've used all of them, and this isn't that much different than those. But I don't know what it is. It's just literally. It's 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 like having a difference of flavor taste preference when between like Coke and Pepsi, if you're a pop drinker, which I am not. So, yeah. So yeah, that, that's, that's what I'm doing. But, um, so yeah, the plan. And so, so that's funny, uh, that we're both using the Michael Hyatt full focus planner because that really does play really well with that, uh, 40% rule that Chris talks about, as well as what Michael talks about, where you basically, you're picking your big three, the three tasks that you're going to do for each day. Yeah. And you know, one of my objections to paper planners was they're inefficient, which is funny in the context of this conversation. But um, what I've found, the thing that irritated me the most about the full focus planner, and I'm just being transparent, this did irritate me at first, <laughs> was having to fill in all my goals every quarter. Like all the work that I do, and I'm, I also use Mike's uh, best year ever goal setting system. And so I have all that in an Evernote file. I have it all stored in Nosby as well. And then to have to write them all out, I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't have to, I guess. I could just leave them blank. But that bothers me, having blank sections in my planner. I said, okay, I'm going to try this 100%. I'm going to follow all the directions. So I wrote out all my goals and my supporting reasons for having set them. And what I found is it causes me to be very contemplative about why I set those goals and do they, do they really still matter? Do I need to shift them, change them, rethink them, reprioritize them? It's been very helpful and it's caused me to slow down and actually think more about what I am doing and why I'm doing it. I hate personally my, my own handwriting. I've always felt that it's just atrocious, but I bear with it <laughs> in order to do that tangible task of handwriting out those things because it's worth taking the time to do. And even Michael says this, I think he even said it when he was on this podcast a 
about a month or so ago, where it's statistically proven that the actual act of handwriting those goals down wires them to your brain somehow differently than doing it digitally. And I believe that. Yeah, I think there's enough scientific evidence that bears that out. Um, And just my experience shows it to be true. And I think part of it is the physicalness of writing it down and that transfer that happens with your eyes and your muscles and your brain and how they all interact. But to me, the biggest thing about it is it causes me to slow down and really think before I commit something. Because I write in my planner in ink. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I have a thing about not scratching stuff out. Yeah, so I think that's the other piece there that you're alluding to, which is this permanence of the ink writing that makes it, you know, it's, it's almost set in stone in a way. <laughs> Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people. Or, at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond i think this also helps with another piece that really keeps us from being productive which is we don't know what we need to do we don't know what the the next logical step is we don't know if the thing that we need to do is a project or if it's just a task so how do you go about determining i mean i think i think some of the answer here lies in taking that time doing that homework sitting and writing out these goals and then it starts to flow from there but we're not done yet no and it it comes from uh, an overall discipline i have a what i call ray's code of conduct and i have these 12 rules of conduct that i've written for myself 
And I look at them every morning as part of my morning routine. And what I am reminded of when I do that is the deep reasons for why I do what I do. And a few of these rules in my code of conduct that are applicable, and and they're really integral to the answer to your question. Uh, First is I take 100% ownership of my emotional state and my response to life. So that means I don't allow myself to be run by my emotions, uh, which I think most of us deal with in some way or another. Um, I have a rule that I spend time in meditation, self-improvement, reading, and so forth. The first thing every morning before email or phone calls, none of this is really new. I, ha- I engage in vigorous physical exercise. And then we get into things that I think are more directly, those, those are foundational pieces, I believe, because I feel like by the time I get my workday started, I've done all the most important things I can do that day already. And so now I'm able to think about uh, like rule number nine, which is I progress daily toward the achievement of worthy goals. And this is where my, then my 40% rule comes in, leaving margin and space open. And by the time I get through this whole process, I realize, well, I've only got, and this is true for, I think just about everybody. If you have, if you are a, a master of your schedule, I think you really only have about six productive hours maximum per day. Uh, and most people, it's far less than that. But mm-hmm. When you realize I've only I've only got six hours, three to six hours, that really limits the number of things you can do. And my the big question that I've been asking myself lately that's made a huge difference in how I do things and what I do is what can I work on in those hours that will still make a difference five years from now? I mean, if I look back five years in my planner and realize that I spent three hours reorganizing my bookshelves. Will that make a difference? Will I be glad that I spent that time that way? Or will I wish I had been writing or having a conversation or doing a podcast interview or creating content for my students? Um, and I think the answers to those questions become pretty obvious, but sometimes they're less obvious. Like, well, I wish I had spent that day with my wife going out for a nice lunch. These are the kind of things that I think about as I evaluate what I'm going to do, what's going to be on my list of big three things to do today. That moves not just from even efficiency into effectiveness. It moves from effectiveness even into the question of impact, which is pretty powerful. Yes, because that's really what we're asking. If if we ask what will matter five years from now or even a year from now, then we're really asking, what can I do that's going to have the most impact on me, on the people that I love, on the people that I have the privilege of serving as Listeners, readers, clients, students, um, my friends. You know, one of the things that has become really important to me is I went through a period where I was so efficient with my time, I had no time for my friends. (laughs) And one of my friends was brave enough and faithful enough to point that out to me and say, you know, dude, that's screwed up. And I, I realized it really was. So I've been working and practicing at having the power to say yes to friends. So when they call and say, can we meet for lunch? Can we, can we do a podcast interview? Can we take a road trip together? I like to be able to say, yes, let's do that. I'm still hung up on the fact that you were so efficient that you didn't have enough time to spend with friends, which is, it feels like there's an oxymoron hidden in there somewhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) 
it's definitely the epitome of doing things right, but not doing the right things. How do we apply this impact piece to what we decide to do each day when we know we can only pick a few things to do and we want to make sure that we allow the time to fully complete them with quality? Well, look, I think the first thing we have to do is we have to look at what must be done today. And really, there are very few things that fit that category. Most things that you think, I have to do this today, I mean, stop and ask yourself, if I don't do that, what really will be the result? I'll have to reschedule. I'll have to work harder tomorrow. Uh, Somebody else will have to do it. Uh, The truth is we have agency. We have the power to decide. So there's very few things we have to do, but there are things from time to time that we do have to do. We've committed. We've made a promise. Other people are counting on us. It's very important. And we just know this is a a promise I made that I'm going to deliver on. Either I made it to myself or somebody else. So this must be done today. And usually that's only one or two things. And usually they don't take as long as we think they're going to take. It's interesting that in those cases, those things usually, the things that loom, that we feel like that's a big obligation, they usually don't take as long as you think they're going to take. The things that you just casually say, oh, I can do that tomorrow afternoon between one and four. And at four o'clock tomorrow afternoon, you realize, okay, this was a one month project. (laughs) Yes. Because we didn't take the time to think through what are the individual discrete steps that have to happen for this to occur. This is really about self-awareness and accurate thinking, as Napoleon Hill would say. And when we become aware of our own patterns and we get accurate in our thinking about what is important, what is the amount of time things will take, what is a realistic expectation of when a project can be done, uh, then we're going to discover that we're not going to put as many things on the list because we just realize there's only two or three things I can do today. So what must they be? Once we've walked through all of that process and we've honed in on truly what it is that we need to either be doing today or soon, there's another roadblock that can come up, which is this lack of knowledge. We don't know if we can do it, whether that's a courage thing or whether or not that's a lack of knowledge thing. Like, so for example, if, uh, if I say, you know what, I really need to fix my email newsletter. Well, is it a matter of having the courage to do what needs to be done? Or is it a matter of not having the knowledge? Well, for me, I already know it's not, I already know it's the knowledge. I don't have that. So then it's another step further down the road, decision process wise of, well, do I, do I take the time to learn that? Or do I hire somebody to, to help me fix that really quick? Yes. Yes. I I think that's totally a legitimate assessment of a problem we all deal with. And I mean, I still get caught in this trap of knowing how to do too many things. So I will think the classic line of incorrect thought, which is, well, I know how to do this. It's going to take me longer to explain it to somebody else than it would take me to do it. Therefore, I'm just going to do it. And there goes an hour. Uh, And the, the real answer is it's better to not be doing things that other people can do at a lower cost than you yourself can do them. And uh, that's a pretty simple calculation to make. All you have to do is figure up, take your annual income, how many hours you work or want to work, what your hourly pay is, and you have a very concrete number on which to base a decision about whether I should do this or somebody else should do it. And if your number is, let's say, $100 an hour, and this task that you want done would take somebody else 
two hours to do and they charge you $15 an hour to do it, it's pretty obvious. You need to have somebody else do this. And then there are cases where it's not so obvious, which is maybe the money thing is not a consideration or it's too close to make a judgment call. But then I look at it as, well, what energizes me? What am I going to really be able to pour myself into versus what is just going to be drudgery for me that's going to leave me with a headache when I'm done doing it? That thing should be done by somebody else. I definitely agree there. And I think even then there's another factor of, is it something where my unique perspective is required in the midst of whatever that task is? If Is it something that truly only I can do or even if I lack some knowledge there, it's it's still going to require my unique, I don't know, DNA or perspective or times, you know, my stamp on it, my stamp of approval, my, you know, my meanness, whatever you want to call it. Is that going to be required or is that something that I can possibly impart to this person? And again, that's one of those judgment calls. Yeah. And, you know, ideally you're able to zero in on what those things are. I mean, this is material that is, uh, ideas that are taught by a lot of people, but chiefly the names that come to mind for me are Dan Sullivan and Gay Hendricks are two people who teach this idea of uh, unique genius or unique ability. And knowing what that is and what the thing is that is, I think of it as your superpower. What is your superpower? That nobody else on your team or in your circle of contractors really, really can do in any way that approaches the level at which you do it. It's the thing that lights you up, that makes you invigorated that you lose track of time when you're doing it. That is the stuff you should be doing as much of the time as possible. And the challenge for many of us is when we're starting out or when we're in the early years of our business, or if we work for somebody else, we don't always have the choice to spend all of our time in that area of unique ability or unique genius. So then the question becomes how much, it's, it's like a game. How much time can I spend there? What are some creative ways I can make that happen? And the better you can get at making that happen, the the more effective you become and the more freedom you get to decide how you want to spend your time. Definitely. So then let's on the flow chart of this conversation or the mind map, let's back up a second and go back to what I was talking about a little bit ago, where there's this other idea of you don't know if you can do something and it's because you're not sure if you measure up enough to be able to do it. Mm. How do you deal with a lack of courage? Well, you know, we start in every endeavor with uh, a level of incompetence the first time we're doing it. And there's a, there's a scale, I think it goes uh, unconscious incompetence, so we don't know we're not good at it. Then there's conscious incompetence, where there's a task we know we're no good at. There's conscious competence, where we're able to just get the job done good enough. And then there's unconscious competence, where we don't have to think about it. We just automatically can do it, and we do it pretty well, but it's still not our area of genius. And I think that for many of us, the, the time when that courage question comes up is usually not with the, the more mundane tasks. It's with the stuff that we perceive as being riskier, where we're putting more of ourselves into it. It's more of our creative work, our big ideas, our crazy projects that we want to work on. Uh, it involves us sticking our neck out and putting our reputation on the line a little bit and saying, I think this is a great idea. I think we should do it. Or for an entrepreneur, it's even more of a, a little bit of conscious insanity where we say, I've got an idea that's so good. I'm going to forego a paycheck and step out into the world and people are going to love my idea so much they're going to give me money for it. 
And that's courage. And I think what we mistake in this equation a lot of the times we think is we have courage, we're not afraid. And uh, as Dan Sullivan and many others have pointed out, courage is not a lack of fear. It's doing the thing you need to do even though you are afraid. I was reading an article recently that just came to mind. There's a quote uh, from Seth Godin. Actually, it's one of his blog posts where he's talking about that essentially, in some ways, everybody has imposter syndrome. And he then goes on to say this, everyone who is doing important work is working on something that might not work. Yes, I love that quote. Yeah, I, I, That just stood out so huge to me. If uh, I think he's so on point, as he often is. I mean, if, we, if we're working on something that we feel like, I am 100% sure this is going to work, I think we're working on the wrong thing. If that's our biggest, most important project, and we're just 100% sure, we're even maybe a little bit bored because we know how it's going to turn out, we are not reaching for more of our potential. We're not reaching for more impact. I love that idea that, you know, the idea that courage is not acting where there's a lack of fear. It's acting even in the face of fear. And sometimes that work that we've got to do yeah, knowing what the outcome is going to be, moving down the lane on something that is a sure thing isn't necessarily going to be as thrilling as, you know, going down the spooky hallway. One of the other pieces, though, that then creeps in is back to the beginning of this whole conversation is this idea that we want to be efficient with our time. And we feel like that's the only thing that we have any control over, whether it's time or energy or resources. And, and sometimes we just don't have enough of them. We've not been good enough stewards of those resources in order to then go through the flow of the rest of this conversation that we had. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, being a good steward of resources of any kind requires first that we appreciate the value of the resources that we've been given. And especially in the developed world, I think we often take the resources that we've been given for granted. We don't, we don't really have a, a, a fair appraisal of the value of what we already have, what we have to offer to the world, and what we might be able to do with it. And it just takes a little bit of looking around the globe, which we can do easily these days because of the internet, to realize um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're better off than 95% of people on the planet because you have the technology and access to the internet and that should, I think that should provoke a, an internal conversation where you say, well, what am I going to do with all these gifts I've been given? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that then frees you up to then say, well, then let me go back into, uh, again, the mind map or the flow chart of this conversation and head towards effectiveness and or even deeper, what's the impact of those actions? Yeah. I think that's, um, that's what Ryan was getting at in the perennial seller I think it's what uh, Jeff Goins is getting at in a lot of his work. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really making, this is the courageous decision, Eric. I think this is maybe the crux of what we're talking about. The courageous decision is to work on things that are important and filled with impact, knowing that they might not work. Well said. I'm going to have to go tweet that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray, it has been awesome talking with you digitally, although we've hung out before, face-to-face, um, <laughs> -face, more recently at Jeff Goins' uh, Tribe Conference. That was fun. I want people to get plugged into the courageous things that might not work that you are doing. So where can we direct people to uh, pick up and connect with you there? Uh, the best place is just to go to rayedwards.com. 
and we've got plenty of free resources and things available there. And then and on all the socials, I'm just Ray Edwards. So I'm pretty easy to find. Awesome. Ray, it's been uh, just special talking with you today. This is one of my f- more fun recent episodes to record for sure. Well, I always enjoy talking with you and I'm happy to be honored to be on your show. Thank you, Eric. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Ray. I always enjoy speaking with Ray and getting some of his sage Obi-Wan wisdom because he's just pretty awesome. Make sure to check out the sponsors for this episode and help support this show. You can find all of them at the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com slash 200. Or you can go to formstack.com slash beyond to get a free trial and a promo code for 25% off your first three months. Also, grab your 30-day unrestricted free trial to FreshBooks by going to freshbooks.com slash T-O-D-O and enter beyond the to-do list in the how did you hear about us section. You can also get 30 dollars off your first week of HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com and using the promo code BTD30 to start cooking simply and easily home-cooked delicious meals. Again, that's HelloFresh.com, promo code BTD30. And like I said, traveling for the holidays will be so much easier with an away bag. It is the perfect luggage because it's strong, and lightweight, and has a charger built into it to charge your iPhone five times. You can get $20 off an Away Travel suitcase by going to awaytravel.com slash BTD and entering in the promo code BTD. I know you're going to love yours. I love mine. In fact, I just put mine in the car to take off. And with that, I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.